We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Xanadu on August 8th, 1980. It was written by Richard Christian Danis and Mark Reed Rubel, directed by Robert Greenwald, and released by Universal Pictures. In 1797, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> this is how far back I'm taking this one. Samuel Taylor Coleridge completed his poem Kublai Khan, or A Vision in a Dream, colon, a Fragment, <laughs> after reading a work describing Xanadu, the summer palace of Kublai Khan, the Mongol ruler and emperor of China. Coleridge scribbled it down as quickly as he could before the effects of the previous night's opium binge wore off. But he was interrupted before he got to the 200 to 300 line length he was shooting for and promptly forgot how he wanted it to end. It was left unpublished in his home until 19 years later when Lord Byron stopped by for a beer and Coleridge <laughs> read it to him the way modern day poets might read their most faved tweets to each other. And Byron was like, dude, this shit is good. You should like publish this dude, shit. Dude, you should publish this. No, no you, you are so talented. <laughs> but he probably said it in like iambic tetrameter or something tetrameter <laughs> yeah in xanadu did kublai khan a stately pleasure dome decree iambic tetrameter it's fours instead of fives all right you fancy pants in 1944 columbia pictures released a film called cover girl about a chorus girl named maribel hicks played by rita hayworth who performs in a nightclub owned by her boyfriend danny mcguire played by gene kelly so xanadu is a sequel this film takes place 36 years later and danny mentions he's been out of the music business for 35 years this is a sequel a direct sequel to the movie cover girl from 1944 wow was there anything there's no other connections okay i was gonna say so cover girl has no like uh muse muse subplot <laughs> yeah yes but nothing related to gods whatsoever no okay <laughs> in addition to being a belated sequel to cover girl xanadu is also a remake of 1947's Down to Earth, confusingly enough, also starring Rita Hayworth <laughs> as the muse Terpsichore, or Terpsichore? I don't know how to pronounce this, who descends to Earth to inspire a theater production. Down to Earth is actually a sequel to 1941's Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which has been remade several times under the title Heaven Can Wait, and once starring Chris Rock as Down to Earth, though Chris Rock's Down to Earth is a remake of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, <laughs> and not its sequel, Down to Earth. Oh my god, I'm so confused. So Xanadu is actually the third in a series? <laughs> if, if, yeah, uh, if, if Down to Earth was a sequel? No, Xanadu is a remake of a sequel. It's a remake of a Okay. <laughs> so as a result, it's a sequel to Cover Girl, and also a remake of Down to Earth, a sequel to Heaven Can Wait. But that which came is out a before remake of... Cover Girl, so... <laughs> Yes, okay, it did. I'm so confused. <laughs> the film was originally conceived as a low-budget roller disco movie, a la Roller Boogie, but with the addition of Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly to the cast, they started to take it more seriously. Andy Gibb was attached at one point to play Sonny, 
which might have been better. I would have liked that. Yeah. John Travolta also turned an offer down. Uh, would have reunited him, obviously. David Naughton was unavailable to play Sonny on account of appearing in Midnight Madness earlier this year. Steve Ugh. Gutenberg, Griffin Dunn, and Michael Bain also auditioned. Can you imagine if Steve Gutenberg was in this and Can't Stop the Music? Yes, I can. <laughs> There's no way he would have done both, but that would have been ridiculous. I would not have liked that. Uh, Olivia Newton-John turned down Can't Stop the Music and Blues Brothers to appear in this film. I wonder... What would she have done in Blues Brothers? Yeah, because she's not... She was going to be the Carrie Fisher part, which is a much smaller oh, role. Yeah. Okay. No, this that was a good choice on her part. I agree. This is iconic. Yeah. Olivia had recommended Mel Gibson and Peter Frampton for the Sunny role, but Gibson was a pass, and Frampton was not approved by Universal after the commercial failure of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. What? That was a failure? That movie's, that movie's great. <laughs> well, it did very poorly, and huh. they were not interested in continuing that financial endeavor. The actual Xanadu set cost one hectare to build. <laughs> uh, originally, it, it was made clear that Sonny actually painted the mural of the Nine Muses. And in the film, he mentions painting a van and a mural. This brief mention is all that survives of that plot point. Mm-hmm. So he actually painted her in the first place. Well, we do see the van. Yeah, but it works so much better if you make it clear that he painted that. Right, because that would be the first moment in which the muse had inspired him. Right. Yeah. But they they sort of ditched that in the edit. Eh. The Pan Pacific Auditorium is playing the part of the Xanadu Club and was destroyed in a fire in 1989. I was wondering what happened to that place. Yeah. Where was it? It know? was in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a big park that's dedicated to it currently there. Yeah. Oh. But the opening of California Adventure is also an homage to it. Yeah. It's oh, also in a okay. bunch of music videos mm-hmm. um, of the time, obviously. Because mm-hmm. it's gone now. You just have the ghost in a music video. The film was nominated for six Razzies at the inaugural ceremony, including picture, director, actor, actress, screenplay, and song. Not warranted. No, yeah. especially not for song. Yeah. No. Because <laughs> the music is nonstop great the whole way through this movie. Uh, mm, no, it's mostly, all great. Mostly. Only great. director Robert Greenwald <laughs> won his Razzie. Apart from the title track Xanadu, none of ELO's songs were composed specifically for this film. They all existed previously. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> you can say the same thing about Can't Stop the Music. <laughs> That's true. In fact, all their best songs are not in the movie for some yeah. reason. Uh, in 2007, the film was adapted satirically as a stage play and ran for 500 performances, nominated for Best Musical and Best Book at the Tonys that year. I don't really understand how it's satirically adapted. As it was a like stage making play. a joke of the 80s-ness of it. Okay. Um, just exactly. I guess I haven't. I guess bit. I haven't seen the stage play. Maybe it would right. make more sense if I've seen it. I think it would. This is my favorite bit of trivia from IMDb because it's completely out of context that it doesn't make any sense. It says the first time this was referenced was on 1994's Friends. <laughs> That's all it says. I like to think that literally no one mentioned this movie from the second it came out until 1994 on Friends. <laughs> We open with a small plane circling the globe for a retro Universal logo. It's followed by a passenger plane, a slick jet, and finally a UFO. I guess, and finally, just beams of light circling yeah. the planet. I like this opening. Yeah, it was cute. I, I like I like when they do a modified opening. Yeah, and Universal does that a lot, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny McGuire plays a clarinet while the sun is inexplicably rising in the west off Venice Beach. In his home studio, Sonny Malone drafts things and crumples other things up back and forth for a while. 
He starts a sketch of a girl and then tears it apart and tosses the shreds out the window where we follow them to some street art in Venice. This does not feel like his hands. Do they, does it look like his hands to you? Cause I oh, I wasn't paying attention to the hands. I, 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 I just really liked the paper effect. It looked like it was just an optical, like literally just white shapes yeah, blowing by. Yeah, I, I, but I really like the way it looked. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of great effects in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are. There definitely. are so many effects that I don't actually know how they did. I'm pretty sure that 90% of this movie had to be just hand rotoed. I don't, I don't do think that's the case did. for that the I'm Alive song. You don't I'm think almost so? 100% certain because even their shadows have an outline, but which you, they wouldn't do that. But later in the movie, when. They do do green screen, like for instance, when he's not on Earth anymore. Yeah, it's it's bad. Like his hair right. green screen is bad. I, and so the fact that everything else is so clean makes me think everything was hand rotoed. Well, and just like the weird edits too, like with the like the, the oh the, my god, the, they're the beautiful lines. The, like, I, I love it. Like everything yes. getting stacked up. I was like, how the heck did they do that? <laughs> but it looks really cool. I, they must have spent most of this movie on the effects. Um, but yeah, so we start with this, uh, we have the street art in Venice Beach of the Nine Muses in a Colosseum. One at a time, they're jumping off the walls with bright neon purple outlines to the tune of ELO's I'm Alive. Last to step off the wall is Olivia Newton-John as Kira, and they dance together for a moment before speeding off in rays of light, igniting the Hollywood sign, crashing into each other, and exploding on the beach like god particles, which I guess they are. <laughs> and uh, running full speed down abandoned freeway overpasses to inspire various artists in the Venice Beach and greater Los Angeles areas. Kira roller skates into the back of Sonny Malone in Venice and surprises him with a kiss before disappearing in a blur. The scene transitions are these amazing diagonal stripes breaking apart, all staggered, and it really works well with the film's aesthetic. I, I feel like that's one thing that they really had down was all the buildings are going to be art deco. Yep. Everything's going to be neon colors. Mm-hmm. And this is the first movie that we've covered that doesn't feel like a 70s movie. This feels like the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually were shooting in January of this year. So it's the first one to actually shoot in the 80s. But it feels like this was definitely like the I beginning mean, of something. It's the, the the fact that they were roller skating a lot still feels very 70s to me. Mm-hmm. But, That's true. But it's one as- of three disco movies that we have this year right. still. But the aesthetic of the movie, aside from that, feels very 80s to I me. I agree. The, 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 well, we'll get to the fashion show montage, but the fan- fashion show montage seems very 80s. Yes. <laughs> Sonny shows up to the studio that he quit working at because it turns out he needs money. His coworkers are happy to see him back, but they wish that he had made his dream of being an artist stick. Sonny's boss, Simpson, calls down to him from upstairs and reminds him what his job is to scale up, but otherwise exactly duplicate existing album covers for hanging in record stores, which I feel like could never have been a real job. Well, that, well that's what I was thinking. I'm like, even in 1980, there had to be a better way to make large scale hanging prints of yeah. an existing piece of art. There definitely was. <laughs> well, I I agree that there probably was, but if you're looking for something that's like hand done that maybe it does so it does yeah, look like a piece but of then artwork. if you wanted it to be hand done you'd want those minor changes so you realize that it's hand done and not a, just a photocopy or right? maybe this is like a super boutique place because i mean they do everything in the same building yeah <laughs> they record the albums they write the music here they have they, an inspiration room yeah they paint <laughs> yeah. the guy who takes the pictures just walks around in the same building um, um, I do like the, the they have those opaque projectors set up. Yes, because 
uh, I had a teacher in uh, middle school who had one of those. He used it for all his didn't use the didn't use like the transparency overhead projectors. He did everything with opaque projector. And that thing got hot as fuck I'm sure. when you were sitting next to it. I don't think I noticed the the projector. How I it was just a backlight, basically. It's no, it's 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 mirrored. It, it it it's just a bright light onto the surface, and then that is somehow mirrored through a lens and then projected up. Um, but it can do color, like full. It can anything you put down in front of it is just magnified and projected. Right. Yeah. Um, and it even had a mouse, like it had like some kind a of cursor over- that he could. Yeah, manipulate. it had some kind of overlay where you had two knobs and it would move this cursor, wow. so he could like point to things that's on. that awesome. part had to be a transparency i want to see yeah. one of those yeah. that sounds yeah cool. but again it, it was such a powerful and bright bulb classrooms just cooking I mean, even yeah. even the overhead projectors would get mighty hot yeah so yeah, i can't yeah. imagine having enough light to project a reflected like colors from whatever yeah, exactly. you've got there sunny seems offended when simpson calls him the fastest painter around but it's job security right i mean you like getting paid here oh it's, it's kind of a back it's a backhanded compliment it's just like he he's respecting his talent, but For the wrong part of it. Yeah, yeah. His first job, by coincidence, is to paint an album cover for a band called Nine Sisters. Get it? With the exterior <laughs> of the Pan Pacific Auditorium in Los Angeles and a girl standing in front of it, outlined in neon purple. He recognizes her immediately as the girl he bumped into in Venice. She nearly ran over me, and then she kissed me. Sonny heads upstairs to ask a random studio exec who the girl on the cover might be. And the guy looks like Napoleon Dynamite traded his glasses <laughs> for a thin mustache. The exec's argument boils down to... Listen, Sonny, I told you, I don't know who she is. Now, she never filed a W-2, and she never got a check. And if I never paid her, she just doesn't exist. Elsewhere, in the same building, apparently, Sonny finds the actual photographer responsible for this cover photo. And he says that he wasn't even trying to take her picture. He just wanted an old building in the background, and she just jumped into the shot. I do like, though, and obviously this is a little spoiler alert for later in the film, you know, that when you look back, she is the muse for his his album cover, which right. is the, you know, which is then the inspiration for, you know, things to come later in the film. So I just like that we see multiple instances of her inspiring art in this movie. Yeah, that's true. But unless this photographer remembers doing a lot of post work, it's at least odd that she's glowing neon purple, um, which she actually was in real life. Like, wouldn't he remember, like, it's strange that she's glowing, but she was when I took the picture, so maybe it's not that strange. Wait, I'm sorry, what are you saying? In the photograph of the building, she has a purple outline all around her that was there in real life when he took the picture. No, he would have done post work on it. But he just happened to put a purple outline around her, even though one exists around her in the real world? What do you mean one exists around her in the real world? When she jumps off the wall, she's outlined in purple. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, she was the inspiration for him to do that. So she's like, this is beautiful. You know it would be really cool is if I put a glowing outline around her. And she's like, yeah. It doesn't seem like he did that much work (laughs) to this album cover. He says, I don't know. The the next time I saw her was on this contact sheet. I don't know what to tell you. But he'd be like, oh, and then I and then I drew this shape around her that I sort of envisioned when I saw her. Yes, because it was the inspiration. That's what she. But she's not emits. inspiring him. Yes, she is. She is. She's inspiring Sunny. Not it's a chain guy. of inspiration to make this happen. It's chain work. of inspiration. I also like that he's like telling him to keep it on the down low because it's illegal. <laughs> it's totally. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, don't 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 start spreading around We're that I don't know who this person is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Sonny heads down to the beach to heckle a clarinetist on the rocks. <laughs> this was so strange. I thought he knew the guy, but he clearly doesn't no, know he this doesn't. guy. He walks up and he says, Hope you don't mind a little noontime music, kid. A little lunchtime serenade. Oh, I don't mind. It's kind of nice. But I was just wondering where they laid out the body. I mean, you got some a little more upbeat? Sure. Sonny offers the man, Danny McGuire, a hand stepping down from the rocks and offers him some of the popcorn he just bought off the bike path in Venice. The two of them flirt for a minute and exchange <laughs> backstories. Danny is a retired musician. And uh, suddenly, Sonny notices Kira, Olivia Newton-John's character, rolling by again, and he moves to pursue her. He borrows a motorized bike from some girls, promising to return it, and they don't seem to care. Hold on. Yeah, he doesn't borrow. I mean, he says, I'm going to return right. it. But they're just like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, what? No, she well, says, well, yeah. you can return it in person. Yeah. Because they like, want to see him again. Okay, yeah, yeah. so they were flirting with each other. But still, it's it's like not just a regular bike. Like this It's a, a motorized bike. It's a yeah. moped. Yeah. You don't let somebody just take your moped. I don't care how cute he is. Well, I have an idea why they might have done it. <laughs> It's because they both still had bikes and they probably just gave away a friend's bike or a complete stranger's. <laughs> uh, but Sonny chases Kira to the end of the Santa Monica Pier and then he crashes into the railing and flies off of it into the water. Kira just blasts off into the sky and Danny is impossibly there already to help Sonny up out of the water. How does nobody notice that? I don't know. By the way, you can't make a movie and name one character Danny McGuire and another one Sonny Malone. It's just not fair to the audience that these characters' names are so similar. Well, also, it's weird to me. I had a hard time because she, his name is Danny and she's Sandy. And and there's also a Danny and a Sonny in Greece. Yeah. So, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is her, she, her name is Sandy in Greece. Right. That's what I'm saying. And so when she calls him Danny, I'm just having Greece flashbacks. Yeah, but there's a Sonny also in Greece, which yeah. is just that much more confusing. Danny invites Sonny on their first official date for some coffee. Sonny tells Danny the plot of the movie so far. Sonny bumps into a friend outside this coffee shop, and and the guy thanks him for the paint job on his van and offers Sonny a ride across town. Sonny holds onto the back of the van instead of riding inside for whatever yeah. reason, and by coincidence, they pass the Pan Pacific Auditorium, and so Sonny just hops off there uh, because he recognizes it from the cover, and he's like, she must be here. I caught this Pokemon here once. <laughs> uh, the auditorium's art deco exterior is a good match for the original sketch work that we saw from Sonny at the very beginning. He hears music playing inside and just climbs over a railing to follow the sound into the building. He sees his fantasy girl roller skating around piles of, I guess, equipment that are just stacked up all over the abandoned venue. But stacked up nicely so that she can skate around. Yeah, I, I got the impression she put them in these piles. Or she um, inspired someone to put them in. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I do. I inspire. That's Steve Jobs was just an inspirer. He was a muse. <laughs> I don't know. Hot chicks have been convincing guys to do random stuff like <laughs> yeah. that for years. They're all years. just muses. <laughs> he calls down to her and tries to explain what he's been going through, and she teases him a bit. He asks if they can see each other again, and she reassures him that they will before correctly guessing his name somehow and then announcing hers, Kira. Sonny is at work the next day, way ahead of schedule, and he's working on his album cover. It's half-painted, and his boss walks in and reprimands it for being too good and for taking so long. Isn't he early for work today and your fastest painter? I don't understand why you're so mad at him. This is mostly just a device for them to have a conversation in Simpson's office. He says, my office, five minutes. If it's six, keep walking. 
Sonny takes his time heading up to the office while a coworker counts off the passing minutes in fast forward for some reason. He says, five minutes and 16 seconds later, she says, four minutes and 16 more seconds later, she says, three and a half minutes. And finally he leaves. Uh, Sonny's boss has a weird conversation with him. He says that a long time ago he gave up art and moved behind a desk and now he's an important rich person and he advises Sonny to do the same even though he needs Sonny to stay downstairs painting uh, for scraps. Simpson assigns Danny to actually head over to the Platinum Palace and hang some of the albums that he himself painted. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, if you have a guy who you need to get artwork done, why are you sending him to do manual labor? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, While Sonny is hanging his art, Danny walks out of the record store and holds the ladder for him. They introduce themselves properly, like with names this time, and Sonny absentmindedly walks away from the art he was hanging and his job the same way he walked away from that borrowed bike that he crashed earlier. The movie is counting on us not committing any of these plot devices to memory in case they are inconvenient later. (laughs) They head to Danny's house and throw on the Glenn Miller album that Danny just bought. Which is already stored inside the cabinet that he opened? Right. Somehow it's already in there. I'm sure he has more than one Glenn Miller album. Who knows? But while the music plays, Sonny flips through the liner notes and realizes that Danny was actually in the band performing on the album. Danny walks him into his trophy room and shows off all of his famous former bandmates. But doesn't he also see uh, Kira in, yes, in the liner notes? Yep. And she was, you know, presumably Danny's muse in the past. Danny says that he fell hard, like Sonny, for a girl on an album cover. And when he lost her, he dropped out of music entirely to start a construction company. So this is the second person saying, if you want to survive in this world, you got to stop making art and start so making out. money. Sonny asks if he ever regrets leaving music behind, and Danny insists that it's impossible to get back into, even though he has a million-dollar company and all the resources to find or build a venue to perform music at. Sonny doesn't see why it should be so difficult, probably because it shouldn't. Danny decides to hire Sonny to find a place as their new venue. They're just going to... He was inspired to hire him. They're going to open a nightclub. He says, (laughs) you've got a good eye. After Sonny leaves, Danny stretches his face in a mirror for a bit before the woman's voice on the Glenn Miller album comes to life, Olivia Newton-John again, and they begin to do a ghostly dance number here in this living room or ballroom or whatever room this is. I really like this effect. I think it's really neat how they have the the ghostly overlays and then they transition to it not, you know, to to it being their full Mm-hmm. Yeah. full bodies in, in the room opaque yeah. yeah it's great i think it's it's really smooth too like it's not uh jarring it's not jarring there's it, no glitches in it yeah it's, it's not one of those really like, well done it's not like one of those bewitched i appeared where it just goes bing and you yeah. the whole frame shakes because it's a new camera setup yeah it's great it's it's really well done effects apparently this whole sequence was added after the rest of the film was shot because gene kelly thought it needed at least some dancing from him even though he initially agreed to do the film because it was all shooting within a half hour of his house and the script specifically didn't call for dancing from him. Back at the studio, after hours, Sonny continues to paint the cover when Kira surprises him. I'm actually impressed with his dancing here, too. Yeah. That, that he is and... still incredibly talented. At Apparently, it's almost like beat for beat the exact dance that he does with uh, Judy... Garland? Garland uh, in some movie from the 40s but he just reused something that he had choreographed previously because mm-hmm. he was like this is something simple that i can do because olivia newton john is not you know 
she's not on gene kelly's level as dancing goes i think she's a pretty talented dancer no for sure she is but she's not gene kelly i guess but i'm just saying that even at his age he was able to do this dancing you know without missing a beat he was flawless yep back at the studio after hours sunny continues painting when kira surprises him he tells her everything that's happened since she left and how crazy it is that this guy is hiring him to find a venue she says it's not so crazy you've got a good eye that's what he said even though she just told him that he has a great eye for a place she points at the cover he's painting and says what about the pan pacific auditorium and he says nah that place sucks sunny drags kira across the lot to a studio they use to inspire artists she tells him to flip all the switches on the control panel so he does yeah this is a great like set of practical effects and just craziness in this whole this whole dance number they skate up to a fake rooftop with a skyline and it becomes clear here that olivia newton john is not actually a great roller skater so he's just kind of dragging her around for a lot of this scene (laughs) and apparently she actually injured her coccyx pretty badly during this during the taping of this part um a small oasis slowly erects itself Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) like stuff is like slowly drifting down from the ceiling yeah uh i i I love where they were sitting on a bench and a train is coming yeah i was like oh god it's mr what is happening Uh, they they move on to a rainy set and grab umbrellas to make a very slight reference to co-star gene kelly singing in the rain um, I and, feel like the rain here was completely in front of them. Yeah, that they it's not touching them at all, all. Which is probably for the best. Yeah. I think they would have fallen <laughs> on, on roller their skates. asses. And, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> roller skates in the rain. <laughs> uh, Simpson catches them in the act, though, and kicks them out of the studio. They walk across the street to the the auditorium. Yeah. Apparently, Xanadu is literally across the street from where this studio is. It's not Xanadu yet. Right, but it's going spoilers. to be. Spoilers. Jeez. <laughs> Forgot that there's no spoilers in the title. <laughs> If he had such a good eye, she wouldn't have had to keep selling him on this building so hard. And the next day, he drives Danny up to the auditorium. Danny sees the building and seems to share Sonny's disgust for the place. He's turned off by the size of it and says, they used to have wrestling here, which they actually did in this building. But then he turns on a dime and suddenly he's completely in love with it and starts populating the empty auditorium with bandstands from his past. I mean, it's... It's clearly a music venue, even yeah. if it had wrestling at one point. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. definitely designed as a music venue. Yeah. Simultaneously, Sonny envisions a shitty rock band in front of a bay of colored lights. Uh, predictably. <laughs> well, it's just like one guy has like this super fancy thing, all these people in costumes and all this set construction and lighting and everything. And then on the other side, it's literally just a black stage with people standing on it holding instruments and it's like yeah but they're wearing like neon colors and like leather and stuff it's, it's, it's not the 80s. it doesn't compare to what <laughs> he has imagined on the other side of this room but i like i like how they combine yes <laughs> predictably the two genres slowly blend into one uh forming a remix and danny says you've sold me on this dump and i'm giving you half the club the similarities between xanadu and can't stop the music are inescapable both are glorified concert films with a very loose story built around mostly existing music. A double feature of the two inspired the first Golden Raspberry Awards, and neither one was willing to commit to their gay characters. Danny and Sonny are clearly having a moment here in this empty auditorium, <laughs> but they try to play it off as platonic. Sonny tells Danny he doesn't know the first thing about managing a nightclub, and Danny says, Well, it's easy. We share the responsibilities, and well, we argue a lot. It's like being married. Without the good part. <laughs> and the two lock eyes for a moment and then just sort of laugh nervously. 
Danny is clearly a willing sugar daddy, and Sonny is pretending like this is just something strangers do for each other completely <laughs> out of nowhere. Sonny runs out to the car to get a flashlight, and Danny calls out to him asking what they should call the place. Now it's Danny's turn to be inspired as Kira shows up and reads the opening lines of Samuel Taylor Coleridge's Kublai Khan poem. In Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure to decree which whenever I see on paper, I read in the News on the March guy's voice <laughs> from the opening of Citizen Kane. Is it weird that I didn't know it was a poem outside of Citizen Kane? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, though that, that guy paraphrases it a bit. Legendary was the Xanadu, where Kubla Khan decreed his stately pleasure dome. Kira officially introduces herself to Danny and then cruelly pretends not to know him, <laughs> even though she's clearly the woman from his past. Sonny goes to work the next day and chews out his boss for giving him his job back multiple times and wanting him to do his work properly. Sonny then fires himself. Yep. I'm fired! Possibly in a brilliant loophole to still collect unemployment for not quitting. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, Sonny and Kira are drinking champagne at the empty Hollywood Bowl for like two seconds. And then uh, Sonny is struggling to get any information out of her beside her name. She's being very evasive, which should be a red flag. And suddenly they kiss and turn into Don Bluth characters. Oh my goodness. As soon as the animation started, I was like, <gasps> Don Bluth! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and they're they're even like fern gully sized, prancing across these branches in the well, rainforest. It's Thumbelina. Like, it yeah. just looks like, yeah. It's just beautiful. It's, 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 it's an amazing sequence. There's definitely pieces of Thumbelina here, but I, I saw more fern gully in it. But the animation quality is beautiful. Like, the quality of this whole sequence makes the rest of the film look like shit, by <laughs> contrast. Um, this whole it, film should have been animated. Yes. Like, it honestly looks, it's it's Don Bluth, so it's full, like, Disney-quality animation. Mm-hmm. And the, they're, they're brilliantly designed characters. Everything's very fluid. It's it's a very high frame rate animation. Yeah. It's not, like, skipping anywhere. And, uh, and and her dress sparkles like the, the princess's dress in yeah. Dragon's Lair. Yeah. Like, it's just got that weird sparkle effect. Yeah, like a photorealistic sparkle to it. The two characters are human at first, or I guess fairies or something, because they're very small. And then they jump through waterfalls and turn into fish. Mm-hmm. And birds. Um, and the two fish chase each other to the surface, where they emerge as birds. Kira's bird is wearing leg warmers, and Sunny's has a vest on, respectively. Uh, they land on a rose and then turn back into humans. Unsure how much of what we just saw happened in this <laughs> actual film. Uh, but as Sunny, I would assume that she drugged our champagne the next day. You know what I really like about all of this, though? This, like, animated sequences is if they're... It, it's so distinctly Don Bluth. But there are hints still of the Disney style in yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like this this really feels like a transition point to me in, in terms of his career. Because it's one of the first things he did after he left Disney. Yeah. Or maybe but, even before. But that's what I'm actually, I'm not sure exactly when he left Disney, but I'm just saying like, it, this, this feels like that, um, you know, that, that, that this is part of that transition where he's yeah. like, he's still got a little bit of that Disney in him, but he's developing his own style and you're, you're really starting to see a, a Don Bluth look here. Yeah. Um, and apparently this whole scene was added to the film later because, they realized that they had another song they needed to use for the movie and it was cheaper to just animate this whole sequence and shoot for like two hours at the Hollywood Bowl for this scene that, of dialogue that's unnecessary and to plug this whole sequence into the movie. So that that whole scene was 
an afterthought, basically. I don't know how it could possibly have been cheaper to animate that whole sequence than to just I shoot it. I think they just didn't have the actors anymore. Okay. I, yeah, it couldn't possibly have been cheaper, but yeah. it could have been more convenient. Yeah. Construction's in full swing at the auditorium, where Danny is announcing that they will celebrate with champagne at the end of every week of work. Kira tells Danny that he looks like a slob, and he needs to glitz it up for the club's opening night. Well, where do you go for glitz? At a franchise glitz dealer. <laughs> they head to a clothing store, which, based on the ramp entrance and glass enclosures on both sides, reminds me a lot of a shop in North Hollywood on Magnolia, like two doors down from Porto's. I wasn't able to find it online when I was trying to, but it reminded me so much of this place. We start into uh, a song. We get a, a montage of the makeover. Makeover, 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 makeover. Um, and this, this is like one of the most 80s things. Like, yeah. Like the weird like music video quality of the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I love the song actually for this part. The all over the world. During the frantic makeover montage, Sonny and Kira sort of drift off, and Danny envisions them dancing outside the club, the finished Xanadu club together, and smiles because it's all he can do to keep from crying. In the club, they continue dancing while Danny reads exposition into the phone. Yeah, that's right. We're opening tomorrow night. Well, you can bring your TV cameras if you like, but uh, we're not going to do any of that celebrity stuff. No, no, just just people. <laughs> it's like the only people who showed up were like trapeze artists and the entire yeah. crew well, of Cirque du Soleil. That felt like a really, really weird statement to me because when he shows up, it doesn't look like there's any patrons there at all. Everybody's mm-hmm. like coordinated in their outfits. Yeah. Like they had to have been paid to be there to specifically skate around and dance. I just wanted one numbers. family of four <laughs> to come in. Like, I don't <laughs> understand what this place is. <laughs> Why are we here, honey? We gotta try somewhere new. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. Can we get more ketchup? A table for four? Please? We don't have food here. <laughs> I didn't ask for food. I asked for ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> if the place is opening tomorrow, they are in trouble because there's bare wood frames for walls behind them that still need like electrical and drywall, not to mention a paint job. And it's already night. Like you really let this project run over into the day the club is opening. But the next morning. Walking her home, Sunny tries to kiss Kira, and she spills the beans. She is a muse. She comes from Mount Helicon and is the daughter of Zeus. I have eight sisters. My real name is Tut. And he kisses her to interrupt the crazy before she hands him a dictionary to read the definition of muse. To which she must have inspired the right. author of... <laughs> what, what would Webster, I guess? Webster was just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so does she actually start to say her name there? Yes, yes, she does. Because I was trying to figure out which muse she was supposed to be. She's Terpishjor. <laughs> which Terpishjor is the muse of dance. Terpsichor? Terpsichor. I can't pronounce it. Terpsichor. That's probably, she was like, okay. I can't say this word. Can he just interrupt me? Yeah. <laughs> Terpsichor? Right. I don't know. I was going to say, say there was also like a music muse, and I wasn't sure yeah. which one they were going no, for. No, she's here. not the music muse. She's okay. the dance one. Okay. I think. What look up Terps of No, like, he's I, I an did. artist. It's, I did. Isn't there yeah. Like an yeah, he's a painter. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. No, there is not a muse of painting. But it doesn't matter because <laughs> what she's inspiring him to do is give up his art and form a business where you just like 
cash checks every day. Yeah. But why is there not a muse of paintings? Because there's like four muses of poetry, <laughs> different and, kinds of poetry, and, and not and, one of like art. Because they didn't paint in ancient Greece. And then there's Serendipity, <laughs> who was responsible for 19 of the 20 highest grossing films of all time. That's right. Except for Home Alone and <laughs> what was the other one? It was Home Alone was the only one. Yeah, Home Alone was the one somebody sold their soul to the devil for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Another dig at John Hughes for that yeah. movie. <laughs> the definition in this dictionary reads... Any of the nine sister goddesses in Greek mythology presiding over song and poetry and the arts and sciences. And do you believe me now, Sonny? How'd you do that? He still doesn't believe her because logically he wouldn't. And so she points to a TV which turns on magically. Or by remote. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, the characters in a black and white crime film are turning to talk to Sonny. Who are you talking to? Sonny Malone. He doesn't believe Kira's a muse. How can you be talking to me? You're a movie. I ain't got time for this, Malone. And after a moment, a third character enters the scene, played by Kira, at which point I would have been certain that she faked this whole video because I know nothing about her except that muses don't exist. For whatever reason, Sonny concludes, well, I guess she's really a muse. She confesses to Sonny that she will love him forever before dad beams her up or whatever. Danny finds Sonny on the beach the next day in his new threads, which look exactly like everything he wore (laughs) pre-makeover. Danny is learning that his business partner has already given up on the club before it even opened because his girlfriend is a wizard or something. (laughs) Danny tells Sonny to find Kira and straighten things out because quitting is dumb dreams die no 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 not by themselves we we kill them sunny skates off and finds the nine sisters art in venice he decides to wind up and roller skate full speed into a brick wall and the rest of the movie takes place in sunny's head in the hospital (laughs) in a coma (laughs) (laughs) but instead he busts through this wall into a black void where kira appears and tells him oh how'd you get in here you gotta go back you gotta get out of here it's dangerous for you here Sonny calls out to Zeus and says, hey, I'm taking your daughter. And Zeus says that she's too important in her purpose of inspiring others. Sonny points out that there are eight other muses to inspire people with. And you could probably expand beyond the greater Los Angeles area, too. That'd be good. But also, they repeatedly in this scene say that, like, Zeus says he had, and his wife say they have no concept of time. Yeah. Like, right. They really don't know if it's short period or long period. So, like... What is the next 80 years if you just let him go down or let her go down with him? Which side is going faster, though? Has she been did she go home and has she been home for millennia and almost forgot about him when he burst through this wall? Or has it been a millisecond for her? But apparently time doesn't matter here. So just let her go down and live the rest of her life with him. And and they kind of make that point. Yeah, they kind of make the reference to that. Yeah. But he he repeats to them that he and Kira love each other. And then... uh, Hera jumps into the chat and says, well, wait a second. And Zeus says, nah, go away. Uh, Kira sings a song after he disappears and the song seems to appeal to them and they decide to give Kira back for a minute on earth. Well, maybe just one moment or forever. Cause he's like, what difference does it make? Whoa. Danny is on skates at Xanadu and rocking them. Uh, this was another thing that he was not supposed to have to do, but he's very capable on skates. And so Gene Kelly's doing all of his own roller skating for this scene. Much better than Olivia Newton-John, even. <laughs> People have to enter the club in an uncomfortable crouched position under rows of bowling pin jugglers, tossing them back and forth. Kira shows up during the final dance number to the title track Xanadu, which is actually probably the best song in the movie, although I really like I'm Alive. 
and all over the world. There's there's so many good ones. It's hard Xanadu's to pick. Xanadu's the best There isn't a bad song in the bunch, though. Don Bluth and ELO are blameless in the list of this movie's faults. Though, they do get a little spastic at the end uh, with the music, starting with dropping songs inside of a minute. <laughs> like, they just do one version of a song and then switch to a different version of a song. Yeah. They're, like, yeah. completely like jumping genres. Western yeah, I could have done and... without the country. and uh, they, could, they just needed to finish out the song without switching genres. Though, in the course of my research for this one, I listened to the Signal Watch podcast review of this movie, and co-host Jamie Steens compared this section to They Might Be Giant's Fingertips Medley, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. Apparently... At the end of the song, all of the muses, including Kira, and also everyone else in the club, is converted into beams of energy, and they disappear, uh, which is going to kill repeat business. Oh, wait. <laughs> they all came back. Wait. Does that mean that nobody was ever actually there? No. They all they all reappear one at a time as Sonny is, like, moping through the club because he just saw Kira disappearing. So maybe that's how they did it because all of these patrons are, like, coordinated and that's true. in their clothing they're and they're dancing. Yeah, they're so they were just all inspired, yeah, inspired by the same music. At the end of the night, they're like, wait, we never unlocked the door. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> these people are all figments of our imagination. It's like that scene in Beetlejuice when they're all doing the Calypso. <laughs> uh, but, yes, <laughs> Sonny is very upset, and he sits down at a booth with Danny who calls over a waitress to get Sonny a drink. And the waitress is played by Olivia Newton-John, presumably as a relatively real person with like a social security number and everything, so she doesn't just get deported to nowhere eventually. <laughs> <laughs> this is our second movie this year, including a Patreon exclusive that we've covered about a child of Zeus befriending a mortal and speaking in an accent that starts with Austra. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also saw on IMDb that Joe Montaigne had scenes deleted. <laughs> so that's that was interesting to me. I wonder what that could possibly have been. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Joe Montana was a quarterback, you idiot. <laughs> I said Joe Montaigne. Uh, our director here was Robert Greenwald. This was his first feature. It's pretty good for a first feature, I would say. He also directed the Abby Hoffman film Steal This Movie, starring Vincent D'Onofrio, and more recently worked as a documentarian with efforts like Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism, and Walmart, The High Cost of Low Prices. Uh, one of our writers, Richard Christian Dannis, this was his first writing credit, and he has three episodes of TV and that's it. Other writer, Mark Reed Rubel, this was his second script after Almost Summer in 1978. He also had a TV movie called Prince of Bel-Air, that predated Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, ah. starring Mark Harmon and Kirstie Alley. Is that why they had to name it Fresh Prince, like the real Ghostbusters? I don't know, maybe. Producer Joel Silver here. Uh, he started his career with Michael Beck as an associate producer on The Warriors, and after this film, he founded Silver Films and produced a lot of 80s action classics like Commando, The Lethal Weapons, The First Two Diehards, Predator, The Matrix movies. He also appears as Raul... Raul J. Raul, the director on the set of What's Cooking, the cartoon that opens Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, he's also been famously parodied as Saul Rubinick's Lee Donowitz in True Romance and Tom Cruise's Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder, though the latter has also been described as a parody of either Harvey Weinstein or Stuart Kornfeld, who we had earlier this year producing Fatso and who will come back for the second Brooks film Elephant Man. Choreographer Kenny Ortega 
also choreographed a bunch of John Hughes stuff, St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller. He also choreographed Dirty Dancing and Tu Wong Fu, and choreographed and directed Newsies and Hocus Pocus. Nice. Uh, he directed a lot of television, including the high school musical films and the Descendants films for Disney. Olivia Newton-John was Kira. She was Sandy in Greece. She luckily turned down Can't Stop the Music to do this. I would say this is by far the better film of the two. For sure. Uh, she co-starred with Travolta again in 83's Two of a Kind, but the response to Xanadu essentially killed her film career. She did not do much acting after that. She does, however, have a credit in the upcoming The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee, which appears to be a belated Crocodile Dundee sequel. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's not about that. It's not about Crocodile Dundee. It's about Paul Hogan. It's about Paul Hogan. But yeah. it's called The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee. Yeah. I guess it's like he's on the eve of being knighted and he's trying to clean up his reputation. Does Paul Hogan have a bad reputation? Uh, I don't know. I know that one of his characters, like threatens people with knives apparently yeah that's but, all but, i know but according to another australian actor that man's a national treasure <laughs> yeah there you go gene kelly played danny mcguire he was don lockwood in singing in the rain jerry mulligan in an american in paris ek hornbeck yes. in inherit the wind i, I just rewatched that movie recently because i really love that movie and and his character is so unusual for gene kelly to play a very snide and cynical interesting uh quick quick joking uh reporter it's another universal film too right um i don't know if that was universal i think it is i think we have a poster at my in my building somewhere but this was his last film appearance this one which seems like he probably had more in him but i'll have to see inherit the wind it's really great 1960 spencer tracy uh frederick march michael beck was sonny malone he played swan in the warriors and dallas in megaforce he came back to voice swan in the 2005 warriors video game James Sloyan played Simpson. He was Matola in The Sting. He's a few Star Trek characters. Yeah, uh, he's in one of my favorite uh, TNG episodes where he's a Romulan defector trying to warn the Federation that a war is about to begin. But it turns out that he was being tested for his loyalty and there was no war and he defected for no reason. And oh, now, no. And now his like family is going to be shamed. And it's like it's a really upsetting episode. I saw something else where he played a Klingon who was going back in time to warn Worf's son that Worf was going to have an attempt on his life mm. or something like that um but yeah interesting he also played a couple MacGyver characters he was a teacher in live and learn he's the one who like hated all of his students oh okay uh, yeah 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 I and remember that. Uh, he was also one of the killers Henry Coulter in the stress retreat episode the invisible killer <laughs> Demetra Arliss played Helen don't know who that was but she was Loretta in the sting and she plays Natalia in Firefox Sandal Bergman was Muse number one. I don't know how you decide which one's which, unless she's just the one that the one that jumps first, off the poster first. First one comes out, yeah. But uh, she plays Valeria, the love interest in Conan the Barbarian. She's also Queen Gedrin in Red Sonia, and she played She in a movie called She, which looks like it was intended to be mistaken for She-Ra at video rental places. She also plays Spangle in Hell Comes to Frogtown, and Matt Latanzi played young Danny McGuire and xanadu dancer that's in the the quick flashback of danny in his earlier years uh dancing with olivia newton john's character this was his first film he met her on the set and made such an impression over the course of the press junkets that they did that they were married in 1984 and stayed married until 1995 so the guy who plays young danny mcguire in this movie married olivia newton john he played brad in greece too and he played Bobby Crystal in My Tutor. 
That was all the credits I had for this one. Well, I, I mean, we are, we mentioned the Joe uh, Montaigne. Uh, I also like that there's a, a credit for Sonny Malone voice. I don't know what that could possibly mean. It says Cliff Richard, Sonny Malone voice. Did, oh, that's oh, for the singing. Probably when he's singing. For, for the singing yeah. part. Yeah. So um, I was worried that his whole voice had been dubbed over oh, no. because it looks because <laughs> it looks kind of like it might have been. Yeah. Um, it could just be ADR. Like loose ADR. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, man, did they just dub his voice over? Like, poor, uh, what's his name from Saturn 3, Harvey Keitel? He didn't care. He wanted his voice dubbed over. Yeah. Uh, what are we thinking, Jess? Up or down on this one? Oh, I give it an up. Yeah. I, I enjoy this movie. It's not the first time I've seen this. It's not like it's a fantastic story or over-the-top acting or anything like that. But it's it's just an enjoyable movie. Yeah, I for sure give it an up also. Uh, I had never seen this movie and based on the cover art had always wondered what it was about because it looks <laughs> like there's like a futuristic city. Um, yeah, it, and, it looks like uh, like Metropolis or something. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's always like been like this infamous movie like, oh, Xanadu. And I was like, this like, like it was like a terrible movie. I thought it was a space movie. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, so I'm kind of curious about this movie. And I was like, I really liked this movie. Yeah. I had a good time watching it, and the the Don Bluth sold me. I was like, "This is this is yeah. great." So I, you yeah. didn't know that was coming at all. I had no idea, but as soon as it did, <gasps> that's I was wonderful. Like, my that... mind just exploded. I was like, "Don Bluth did animation for this." I wish I had been there when you saw that <laughs> moment. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I really don't have any complaints about this movie. I mean, it's just a silly little movie, but it's it's enjoyable the whole way through. It, it has the similar type of like just plot holes as something like Can't Stop the Music, but it's not as obnoxious. Like I think Can't Stop the Music is like, ugh, what is this scene even happening? Well, it's got a full good story arc, you know that that we have we have him going through his you know moments of doubt and mm-hmm. then coming around and being inspired and having yeah. done something great so like we're good in terms of story um and then just it's a very capably shot movie mm-hmm. and the, i think the effects are fabulous yeah um the i think that really the the bad part of it is the writing obviously has some weak points. The script yeah. is very loose. Yeah. It feels like it was rewritten a lot. Olivia Newton-John says it was being written on set um, as they were going. And I, as much as people rip on Michael Beck for his performance in this movie, I don't think Olivia Newton-John's doing a great job either. Um, I feel like Gene Kelly is wonderful throughout. He's always charming. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like neither one of the other two characters, and it's partly a failure of the script again that they just don't give them enough to do or say. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Kira is so restricted in what she's allowed to reveal about herself and that she's not even a human, so she doesn't have any human emotions for the whole movie. Yeah. It's basically she's just there to smile and then sing a song occasionally. Um, But yeah, it's it's great. I think it's it's a fun movie to put on. And like I've said a hundred times already, the soundtrack is phenomenal. I just love all the music. Um, Do you say where it's going in your list? Uh, so this goes, um, it's definitely above the windows threshold for me. It's in the 47th spot for me. It's uh, just below Dress to Kill, but above Nijinsky. Okay. Oh, I have this really, this is really high up on my list because I just was totally, <laughs> just totally taken aback by how much, how enamored I became uh, with this movie and the music. Um, so this is actually going into... 24th place oh wow wow um this is just below tom horn and just above stuntman um for me this is in 58th uh it's just below raise the titanic 
and just above Bronco Billy. I think if this had been the second time Richard had watched this movie, it would have been a little lower. Probably. <laughs> That's probably true. But I think, yeah, being surprised by fresh Don Bluth animation mm-hmm. is yeah. just, it's a treat. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I like, like, I'm always on the lookout for like Don Bluth like art. And some of it goes for like really expensive, but uh, I bet some Xanadu stuff would go real cheap. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. It, um, do you remember when we went to Dave Brown's uh, cartoon club, mm-hmm. and I there was one uh, one week where I got to do the picture round, and for my trivia? picture was all animated sequences from live action movies, and so I had a screen grab from Xanadu was one of the choices where you had to like mm. match it. You had to identify the movie from the screen grab. So I'm trying to remember what else I had in there. There was obviously the super Mario brothers movie starts with some animation and this <laughs> clip from Xanadu. Um, but yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Kidnapping of the President which IMDb describes like so. A South American quasi-revolutionary guerrilla terrorist and a misled, admiring girl compatriot managed to kidnap the U.S. president during a diplomatic visit to Toronto. We leave you now with the trailer for The Kidnapping of the President. It was the most incredible scheme to shake the nation and shock the world. The Kidnapping of the President, starring William Shatner. If he gets away with this, he'll be a hero to his people. Hal Holbrook. Tell him they're not to pay one thin dime. Van Johnson. Somebody's kidnapped the President. Ava Gardner. The Kidnapping of the President. Rated R. <laughs> <laughs>